You are listening to the Pencil and Paper Podcast Network. Visit PencilandPaperProductions.Podbean.com to find more great podcasts. Hello and welcome to As I Recall It, a podcast featuring stories and anecdotes of years past. Did they happen exactly as I said? Probably not, only as I recall it. The behaviors of the human race have baffled me for many years. I have theorized that these behaviors are a byproduct of society in which we live in today, but that's just a theory and it's mine. Sometimes these behaviors get under my skin in the worst way, like immediately. For example, when I'm on the road, I try my best to maintain the speed limit. Every now and then, depending on the stretch of road, I may push those limits, but it depends on how I feel. I get extremely aggravated, though, when I am clearly doing the speed limit and someone decides that riding the bumper of my vehicle is appropriate, as if I am moving at a snail's pace. Even worse is when you are, in fact, going well over the speed limit and someone speeds past you moving at dangerous levels. I always wonder where the cops are when those moments happen, because I get pulled over for going 55 in a 40-mile zone, and that's only three-tenths of a mile, but these people could easily kill someone with their reckless driving and are free and clear. Another example of this behavior that really bugs me is at supermarkets or convenience stores. At supermarkets, it's not as bad since there are those dividers you can use to separate your items from someone else's. And considering you're most likely there to purchase large amounts of goods, it's a necessity. At convenience stores, however, there is this inherent need to set your stuff down immediately, as if it will get you out of the store faster. When someone is in front of me, I hold on to all of my items until they are finished with their full transaction. In my mind, it's their turn, not mine. Other people behind me will be standing incredibly close despite there being an entire store behind them to stand in, which makes me extremely nervous. There's zero need to stand that close. Then, as I am in the middle of my own transaction with the cashier, they have already stepped forward with their own goods and set them all down. Keep in mind, I have yet to pay, which means the cashier cannot ring up their goods until my transaction is complete. This may seem ridiculous to some, but I find it incredibly rude. This isn't to say that I can't be impatient. There are times I get behind slow people on the road who aren't doing the speed limit, and that drives me mad. There are times I will be walking around a store knowing exactly what I want to get, only to be hindered by numerous slow-moving individuals that prevent me from reaching my destination in a timelier manner. Consider this a quirk. A pet peeve of mine, if you will. I have other quirks that I have often wondered if they are side effects of anxiety, depression, or something else entirely. Certain sounds drive me mad, like the sound of a cup filling up with liquid. You know the sound I'm talking about that they make in the soda commercials when they're trying to make that point and they're real close up on the soda and they just keep filling it up and there's that sound? I hate it. I loathe it. At my 9 to 5 job, by the way, those are not my hours, but you understand what I mean. There's this guy who fills up a large metal cup every single morning in the loudest, most obnoxious way possible. Now, I have not said anything to him yet, since this is my quirk, 
And I'm sure there is a diplomatic solution where he could find another way to do it without making that noise. You know, maybe like tipping your cup or something. However, this is not the only obnoxiously loud thing he does every single day, so I feel like it would fall onto deaf ears. Plus, I don't think I would be able to be diplomatic as my fuse is already very, very short. Also, this quirk has a name, misophonia. It's a legitimate disorder that currently has no explanation behind it. If you feel the same way I described about a particular noise, don't worry, you're not crazy. Speaking of short fuses, thanks to a therapist, I understand where my short temper came from. It's the bomb effect. Light the fuse, bomb goes off, short a fuse next time the bomb is assembled. Every time it resets. I have questioned what could have led to numerous outbursts that then led to a shorter fuse. And what conclusion we reached made sense. My anxiety tends to make me a very selfless person and a bit of a pushover. Trying to worry about the needs of others caused me to forget my own, which continually put me into uncomfortable positions, which could lead to outbursts. The therapist said that there is a time to be selfless and a time to be selfish. Never forget about your own needs. It's something I never considered before. I thought it was bad to be selfish, but it's not. Well, it's more about how you are selfish. That's what I'm getting at here. Don't steal candy from babies, but know that your voice is important in a situation you are uncomfortable with. Speak up. Speak out. Stand your ground. You can't help the way your brain is wired. Don't let others make you feel lesser for something you can't control. From 1990 through 1992, I continued to build the world that was Stephen's Wacky Maze. Sequel after sequel with expansions to the story, new characters, and even spin-offs, this was a creation I enjoyed playing with. But even as I tried to top what had previously been done, I was starting to run out of ideas. However, in 1992, a new wave of ideas began to sweep through my head. As you may remember a story I told in a previous episode about my childhood hideaways, I mentioned one place that I loved more than any other spot. My fort. I also mentioned how I made a comic around it, uh, but didn't go into specifics. The Battles at Fort Destruction was meant to be a follow-up series to Stephen's Wacky Maze, focused on Stephen continuing his journey as a hero. I wrote the story in a much different style with the narrative being told through diary pages and flashbacks. And even though I only wrote a handful of stories, the characters that first appeared here and even the events that transpired here changed everything going forward. Back in Stephen's Wacky Maze number 16, I had created what I had considered Stephen's most brutal foe, Shadow. Not giving any consideration to his return, I felt our hero needed a new, dark reflection of himself. That very description was the basis of his new foe, Mirror. Also, keep in mind I was not properly skilled at naming characters, so if you hear a name like that and go, lame, I get it. But that's who they are to me. Mirror was created by a group called the Vane Voodoo Team, even though they're more of a duo. Vane and Voodoo were supposed to elicit fear, despite having names like Rags and Soap. Don't judge me. I've actually gone back and redesigned these two, making them much more menacing. 
the way it was intended. George Lucas style. Anyway, the VVT were attacking Fort Destruction since it had gold or something. It was a very thin subplot for a 12-year-old, but at least there were some reasons. After being thwarted by Stephen the first time, the duo became desperate and knew some of that black magic to summon Mirror from the fifth dimension. At least that sounds right. Obviously, Mirror was meant to be so ruthless that he turned on his own liberators. But when Stephen found a way to send him back to his own dimension, they were also thrown into another dimension. Where they landed leads us to another hero. One that really led the charge on further creations. Before jumping into that story, let's take another step back. One day in class, as I recall it was maybe 7th grade, I was attempting to draw a Wolverine. For whatever reason, I just couldn't do it. It always looked ridiculous to me, but I kept trying. On one attempt, I got so frustrated that I doodled a crude outline of the character. However, upon looking at it after the fact, an idea for a different character came to mind. Using the sketch as the basis for the design, I began to draw what would become Robo-Rabbit. Now, even I knew that this was ridiculous to a point, but I ran with it, and I embraced the ridiculousness of it. I drew a slew of villains for him to face, such as Firefly, Bomberbird, Maniac Marlin, Motorman, and the nefarious Computer Crab. All were robots as well, and if I had a guess, all influenced by Mega Man just a bit. Now, as far as Robo-Rabbit's origins, I was clearly influenced by Robocop. I know at age 12 I shouldn't have been watching such things, but what are you going to do? Anyway, in the story, Robbie Rabbit, I know, I know, found a special suit that allowed him to become a superhero. The Masked Avenger, maybe? This is actually one detail that I'm having a hard time remembering, uh, but sounds right to a point. However, one day, he was fighting crime and was critically injured to the point of no return. So, the doctor in charge performed surgery on him, saving his brain, but transforming him into Robo-Rabbit. Also, in case you haven't figured this out by now, everyone was a rabbit in this world. Everyone except the doctor who created Computer Crab. No idea why. Obviously, following the Robocop route would have been easier, I suppose, and made the comic more of a parody. But I guess my rationale at the time was that being a superhero was the only way he would have been put in such a situation. Regardless of the irregular approach, I began developing stories where essentially villain of the week narratives led to a final showdown against computer crap. Now with two heroes under my belt, I'd been trying to think of some new ideas for them both. Yet one idea eluded me for some reason until it hit me like a ton of bricks. A team-up. Why not have Steven and Robo-Rabbit meet? It seems like a no-brainer today, but back then, I felt like I was doing something unprecedented. That first picture I drew of them together, shaking hands, blew my mind for the longest time. But I was a kid, so it took very little to excite me. The Vane Voodoo team were thrown into Rabbitville, which was obviously another dimension. Their presence in this world brought Robo-Rabbit directly to them. In an attempt to escape his clutches, they used a spell to escape the dimension, but, in doing so, brought Robo-Rabbit along for the ride. And in similar fashion how they summoned an evil version of Steven, they used magic to create an evil version of Robo-Rabbit. Robo-Rabbit 
3. I had previously created a number 2 who was created by Computer Crab, so why not make yet another evil version? What can I say? I like the evil doppelganger trope. The team-up issue was essentially the finale of the battles at Fort Destruction, which left Steven with nowhere to go and sent Robo-Rabbit back to his own world. I continued writing continuing adventures for Robo-Rabbit. Unfortunately, the two follow-up seasons were poorly written despite having some interesting characters introduced. And with both characters now running out of steam, I wasn't sure where to go next. How could it all end here when the world was beginning to expand? But before I knew it, lightning struck. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed our stories. If you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash pencilandpaperproductions or pencilandpaperproductions.podbean.com and click become a patron in the top right-hand corner. Remember, you can tell your friends to find us on the Pencil and Paper Podcast Network found on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you find your podcasts, and even youtube.com slash pencilandpaperproductions. Thank you so much for joining us, and I hope you'll join us again next time for more stories. This has been a Pencil and Paper Podcast Network production.